Well, a very pleasant good morning to each one of you. Thank you for coming and worshiping God with us here. We have a number of visitors that are among us this morning, and we certainly want to count you as our honored guest. Uh, we hope that our worship to God in song and in prayer and in study of His Word can be helpful and beneficial to all of us and help us in our walk with Jesus Christ and in our relationship with God as we live here in this world. I appreciate the uh, men that have led us in worship this morning in song and in prayer and the thoughts that were made before taking up the collection and uh, centering our thoughts on Jesus Christ and his eternal love for each one of us. Uh, I don't know, I think we try to say every Sunday at least, a thank you to all the men that participate in our assembly and helping us to worship God, but I appreciate each one of you and uh, the part that, that you play in helping our minds to uh, be focused upon our great God. If you were in uh, Brother Phillips' class this morning, we had a very uh, good conversation, a very mature conversation. And I said to him after class was over that he kind of preached the end of my sermon this morning. But that's okay. It's good for us to have repetition. It's good for us to consider things uh, uh, time and time again. That's what really being a disciple of Jesus Christ is all about, that we always be learners, that we always be followers. We're always good students of the Word. And we can come back to passages maybe that we have looked at throughout our whole life, and we can look at them perhaps with fresh eyes, and we can see something, some kind of truth that God is trying to teach us that maybe we have missed before, and we can help each other in that. And that's certainly, I think, one big reason why God designed the church in the way that He did, at least in the local sense, that we could help one another in that. And Brother Xavier has kind of preached a little bit of my sermon already this morning, but that certainly is, is fine as well. In the almost two years that I have been here, I have had at least eight men to, as best I can recall, suggest that I would preach on the topic of modesty. And especially our four elders, as we met toward the end of last year and we discussed uh, thinking about a congregational theme as we chose being more like Jesus, and then thinking about this series that I have been calling this year Current Issues, and to try to put this particular topic into that series of a current issue. It's not just a current issue, but it certainly is one I think that all of us have to deal with. It is one that is a challenge, I believe, to all of us who are Christians as I've already said, four of those eight men are our current shepherds that lead us and feed us here at Fairview. But the other four men are not, and they are men that range from young to middle age to older. And just along the way, they have asked me about uh, this particular topic. However, just because I've only had males so far suggest this sermon topic to me, does not mean that it is something that only applies to one gender. It doesn't mean that half of you this morning can tune out. I hope that everyone will listen to uh, everything that we read from God's Word. Whether you want to listen to what I have to say about it or not, that's up to you. But I hope that you will focus on what God has to say to us from His Word. Because what we wear and why we wear it is something that all of us who are Christians that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ is something that all of us need to consider from time to time. It's something that all of us should study, and it's something that all of us should give some due thinking to. 
While there are a few New Testament texts that specifically deal with a Christian's clothing, and we're going to look at a couple of those this morning, there are, to my knowledge, no New Testament texts that would state for us a specific God-approved or God-mandated dress code, if you will, for those of us who are Christians. But if you were here a few uh, months ago, I think we looked at a lesson about alcohol and we kind of went through the Old and the New Testament scriptures and we pulled out some principles, we pulled out some pictures uh, of one who would go down that road of alcoholism and where that would lead in their life and all of the problems that that would bring to their life. So our lesson today is somewhat similar to that. That there are, as we look into the Word of God, there definitely are, I believe, some divine principles that God has given us that we can use in thinking about this particular subject that we are considering today. And so we're going to think about some of those texts this morning. We're going to think about some of those principles today in relation to Christians and clothing. By the way, as I began this sermon telling you that there have been some brothers that are members of this congregation that have suggested that I talk about modesty. Sometimes we use that word modesty and and we kind of just naturally think of modesty in our clothing. But that word really is a broad word. It, It describes, first of all, our demeanor. It describes our heart. It describes our character that we are to be modest people. We are to be modest followers of Jesus Christ. And we'll look at that and think about that some this morning. But sometimes maybe we can be a little bit lazy in our thinking just to throw that word out there, modest or modesty, and we assume that everybody knows what we are talking about. It's kind of like the word lust or desire is really what that word means. As you read that word lust throughout Scripture, many times, at least for myself, and maybe it is the case for you, maybe not, but somebody talks about the word lust and we think naturally about sexual lust. But that word lust just is describing desire. It can be a good desire that God wants us to have. It can be a bad desire that he doesn't want us to have. It can be a lust for money. It can be a lust for power. It can be a lust for popularity. It can be a lust for a whole lot of things. And so as we use that term modesty, it does have a very broad connotation to it. But we're going to think this morning in a specific way about Christians and clothing. So as we look at these texts and the truths that they contain for us, I would urge each one of us to think about them as honestly as we can, to think about them as objectively as we can, for us to use sound reasoning, for us to use good judgment, and then for each one of us to draw some conclusions and to make some applications to our own lives. There's lots of things I think we could say about this, and I've preached uh, this Not this particular sermon, but I preached about this topic several times, not a whole lot. But I'm approaching it from a different standpoint this morning. As we think about Christians and clothing, just to think about two truths and to keep these truths in our mind, not only as we're studying this morning, but as we go throughout our day, throughout our week, and the rest of our lives. The first truth I want us to consider as we think about Christians and the clothes that we wear is that I believe it is very important for us as God's people to make sure that we are trying to exceed the world's standards in this particular area. If you've lived for very long, I don't have to tell you this. This is not some kind of a news flash. You know this already. But we certainly do, in my judgment anyway, we certainly do live in a very highly sexualized society where it seems like there are a lot of things that really aren't sexual in nature, but 
our culture, our society in 21st century America, we have taken a lot of things that really don't relate to a sexual relationship at all. And we have made them sexual. We have sexualized those things. And such is true when it comes to clothing. In my judgment, and your judgment may be different, but I think a lot of clothing that is what I would call in style, a lot of clothing that is sold on the racks in a lot of stores is really designed to appeal to those sexual desires that God has given to us. And God has given us sexual desires. We are made in His image. He has given us sexual desires, and we shouldn't shy away from that. We shouldn't try to downplay that. We shouldn't try to say hush-hush and not talk about that. Because those desires that God has given to us, they are good desires. As we talked about in a previous lesson from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about fornication, those sexual desires God has given to us as men and women, male and females, and He wants us to satisfy those desires and enjoy those desires within the context of a marriage relationship and nowhere else. But I think just the culture and the environment in which we are living today makes it very much a challenge for us. And I didn't really realize this until our first child was a girl. And to kind of put this in context, uh, I grew up with two brothers and no sisters whatsoever. And as we're going to talk throughout this lesson, this lesson is not just for those in the audience that are females. This is for those of us who are males. This is for all of us. But especially, I think, is the case and is very challenging if you have a daughter or if you have a wife or there is a female in your life. Because a lot of the clothes that are designed by clothes designers, by fashion designers these days, those clothes for females are to appeal to their sexual desire and the sexual desire of the opposite sex. But the fact that as a whole, our culture standards regarding clothing are almost non-existent, again, it makes it somewhat of a difficulty for us. It is a challenge for those of us who are striving to be pure in heart, as we've already sung this morning. We're trying as hard as we can, as best as we can to please God in every area of our life. Now, having said that, though, there are still people in our world that do have some standards when it comes to clothing. And some people in our world today still enforce those standards. Uh, some of you know, I think many of you know, that our children are homeschooled. Uh, but we are sending this year all three, and Anna is so happy about that because she has a day off. <laughs> uh, but every Thursday, starting last Thursday, all three of our children are going to a homeschool academy. And they sent a bunch of uh, information to those of us who are parents, a handbook online for us to read. And in that particular handbook, there was a dress code for Kaha, uh, where our kids go. And this is what it says. It says, we ask that our students dress appropriately and we reserve the right to send students home for inappropriate clothing. The following guidelines should be used for our dress code. Number one, a bottom of the bottom of a shirt and top of a a top of your pants must overlap. There's to be no midriff exposure. Shirt straps should be at least two inches wide. There's to be no skin-tight pants or shirts. There is to be no cleavage showing. There is to be no offensive language or symbols on shirts. That's one I think that maybe we don't think about as much in this topic that we're addressing today. And shirts and, skort, sh shirts and shorts must be at least fingertip length. 
I don't know who came up with this particular dress code. Uh, the people that run this particular homeschool academy, to my knowledge, are, are not biblical Christians. God knows, of course, those who are his and those who are not. But they are people with a, uh, a, an appreciation and a, a respect for the word of God. And this is what they have come up with. And so I just point that out to you because it says to us, the world in which we live, the standards of the world in regard to clothing includes everything from just what I would say anything goes to maybe what I just read to you, some more concrete guidelines and rules. But in all of that, I'm asking, whose wisdom should we seek about this? Should we seek the wisdom of the world in this matter or any other matter? Should we as followers of Christ follow the world's standards in our clothing, whether it be this dress code that I just read to you, whether it be somebody else's dress code or a lack of a dress code? Should that be our concern, what the world thinks or what the world is doing in regarding to clothing? And I want us to think about two passages this morning. Again, these passages don't specifically say anything about Christians and clothing, but I do believe they give us some principles to at least consider and some questions to ask ourselves. In Romans chapter 12 at verse 1, the Apostle Paul says here, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If you're familiar at all with the book of Romans, really up to this point, the Apostle Paul has discussed several things. He has told us in no uncertain terms back in chapter 3 at verse 23, but even back in chapter 2, that we're all sinners. That, that is our common lot as human beings. That it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, we are all sinners. He has talked to us at length about God's grace and God's mercy as he showed it to us in his son Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. He has talked to us about the fact that we can only be justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. And now as he comes to verse 12 and really through at least chapter 15, he is beginning to make some applications or draw some conclusions of those biblical truths and principles. He is giving us some daily living applications of those very, very rich truths. And he is reminding us at chapter 12 and verse 1 of the book of Romans, he is urging them, these Roman brethren, and urging us today as we read these words, he says, I urge you by the mercies of God. He is drawing, it seems to me, on everything he has said in chapters 1 through 11 because we're all sinners in need of God's grace and mercy and because God has showed us his grace and mercy in his son, Jesus Christ. He has taken us out of the pit of sin when we were helpless, when we were sinners, when we were his enemies and he has saved us in his son, Jesus Christ and we can be justified by being people who are living by faith because all of that is true as we spoke of in several lessons already this year from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because we are now in fellowship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, our bodies belong to Christ. And He says to us here at verse 12, because all these things are true that God has done to save us in Christ, then we have an obligation, we have a duty to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, something that is acceptable to God. We are to be using even our physical bodies in service and sacrifice to please Him and to do His will. As recipients, again, of God's grace and mercy, 
We are to no longer be people whose lives are conformed to this world. And I realize Paul doesn't say here anything about our clothing and the decisions that we make about what we wear or don't wear. But I would say as we present our bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice, as something that is acceptable to him, as we're presenting even our physical bodies as something that is not to be uh, conformed to the world, at least in my mind, that would include our clothing. Because everything about who we are, everything about our life, is to be transformed, as he says here in verse 2, to God's good and perfect will. And we are to be people, even in our dress, I believe, that are showing God's will to the world around us. And so, a few questions. As we look at these texts, you're going to have to answer these questions for yourself, but I think they are some good questions for all of us to consider. Is what I choose to wear, first of all, acceptable to God? Do I think that God would accept it? He would be pleased with that. Is he pleased with the choices that I would make in the clothing that I wear or don't wear? Am I showing his goodwill to other people by what I wear, by the clothes that I choose to wear? And is my clothing conforming to the world's way of thinking or does it more conform to God's way of thinking? These are just some good questions I think all of us need to be asking ourselves from time to time. The Apostle John says something to us about the importance of not living like the world around us. In 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, again, he doesn't say anything in this text about modesty or clothing or the things that we are thinking of today, but I think he does give us some good biblical principles to consider here. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, John says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives or abides forever. And John encouraging and instructing the Christians of his day and us today and telling us that we need to be people who are not loving the world. We're not loving the things in the world. I believe John really is instructing them and us. Don't be people who are just living like the rest of the world. Don't be people who are following what is normal in the world. Don't be people who are, who are subscribing to the world's way of thinking and the world's way of living. Don't follow the world's standards in essence. Because for the most part, our world is under the influence of Satan. Scripture, especially in the New Testament, describes our enemy sometimes in those terms about him being the prince of the power of the air, about him being the God of this world. And so being under the influence of Satan, our world chases oftentimes after these lusts that the Apostle John describes here at verse 15, that they are following after desires that appeal to our fleshly appetites, namely, as he mentions these three in this verse, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of pride. And in all three of those, John is encouraging Christians of his day, as well as us, we don't need to live like the rest of the world. That What the world says about anything, about our speech, about our entertainment choices, about our clothing choices, none of that really should matter to us. And so again, I would ask you to ask yourself the question, 
is what I wear based upon these three worldly desires? Am I choosing clothing because I know that it will appeal to the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or pride? And does my clothing show that I love the world more or that I love God more? This has always been a challenge for God's people as you read through the the Old Testament, as you think about the Israelites. They were often people who were influenced by the world around them rather than being people who were influencing the world as God intended them to be. But the second truth, and kind of related to this, and maybe the other side of this same coin, is that we need to be people who are embracing God's standards. I don't think it's enough for us just to say, well, I'm not going to live like the world. I'm not going to embrace the world's standards in anything, much less in what we are talking about today. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been called to a higher standard. We have been called to God's standard. And so we must be people who are trying as best we can to live out God's standards in every part of our life. And as we read God's word and as we think about the things that he says to us, as we think about the truths that he gives to us there, as we think about the principles on on which we can live our lives, that ought to be what concerns us the most. Again, this is not a text that specifically talks to us about our clothing, but it does, I think, give us some principles that we can apply in this area. In the book of Romans, this time in chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, let's read here uh, beginning at verse 11. Romans 13 at verse 11 beginning. Paul says, Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, Not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. The Apostle Paul is trying to remind these Christians as he is trying to remind us that wherever we are on the spectrum of life, if we are a child of God, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we are one day closer to our eternal salvation than we have ever been. We don't know how long we're going to live here upon this earth. None of us knows the time when we, when we will depart this earthly life. But we are closer, all of us are closer than we have ever been to our eternal salvation. And so once again, Paul says, like in some of these other passages we've already read, from Romans 12 and 1 John chapter 2, he says we're not to live like the world. We as children of God, we are to live in a way that I would call fits being clothed with Christ. Notice that he uses kind of some clothing imagery here, terminology. He says, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and in its place, let us put on the armor of light. And then at verse 14, he says, we need to be people who are putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and making no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. We are people, if we have been baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, at that moment in time, as Romans chapter three tells us, or Galatians chapter 3 tells us, we have been clothed with Christ. We have put on Christ in a very real sense, and He is to be our life. There are two terms that I want you to think about with me for just a moment here in verse 13. When He describes and tells us we need to be people who are living, uh, people of the day and people not of the night, people that are people of light rather than people of darkness, 
he says we're not to be behaving in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. The word sexual promiscuity, that first term is also used in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13 and verse 4. It is used there to talk about the marriage bed, to talk about the relationship that exists in marriage between husbands and wives. And he says there, the writer does, that that marriage bed is to be undefiled. It is to be holy. It is to be something that's special because it's special in God's eyes. The second term here, sensuality, describes among other things unbridled lust or shamelessness that we really don't have any any shame about the things that we do in our life. Again, the Apostle Paul doesn't mention specifically clothing here. He's talking about our actions. He's talking about how we live. But as you think about what the Apostle Paul says to us here, the instructions, the, the truths that he gives us here in Romans chapter 13, again, to ask ourselves some questions. Is the clothing that I wear, could it in any way possibly be described as sexually suggestive, that it would show other people that, that I'm a, a, a promiscuous person when it comes to the matter of sex? Does it unnecessarily stir sexual desires in anyone other than my spouse? And I know in this particular topic that we're talking about this morning that someone will probably be thinking, maybe you're even thinking yourself, well, it really doesn't matter what I wear or I don't wear because a perverted mind is going to see what they want to see and a perverted mind will think what they want to think. And that certainly is true. That's on them. What about for ourselves? Does what I choose to wear help me to do what Paul instructs us to do here in this text? To lay aside the deeds of darkness, to put on the armor of light, or is it something that is hindering me? And that quest, if I am a true child of God, I'm trying to live in a, I'm trying to live like light as God himself is light. And does my clothing, the last verse that we read here from verse 14, does my clothing reflect that I am trying to be a person who is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm making no provision for the flesh in regard to his lust or not? I'm sure many of you already had this text in your mind, but 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives some instructions to Timothy as he's given him some kind of personal individual instructions in chapter 1 about his work as a preacher of the gospel of Christ. And then he begins to give in chapter 2 some things that he wants Timothy to teach, especially as he works with the Christians here in the city of Ephesus. Notice back in verse 8, I don't have that verse on the screen, but I think it fits the context here. He says in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So he gives some instructions specifically to men. It's not to say that women can't pray and that as women are praying that they're not to be holy people. That's not the idea here. But he is saying specifically, especially to those of you who are men, when you do pray, you are to lift up holy hands. Likewise, he says, verse 9, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for, a, for women making a claim to godliness. So I read verse 8 because Paul begins verse 9 with the word likewise. And so Paul is making, I believe, a, a very much a connection between 
the instructions that he's giving in verse 8 and the instructions in verse 9, at least in, in the kind of attitude that we ought to have. Likewise, in verse 9, ought to point us back to what he has just said in verse 8. Again, some instructions for men to be holy. Not just when we as men come before God in prayer that we have to have holy hands then and the rest of our time on earth we can have unholy hands. No, he is wanting us to be holy in body, soul, mind, spirit, in everything that describes who we are. So I think in a similar sense, when we come to verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul is saying that women who are Christians need to be holy as well. Three terms for us to think about here in these two verses. Number one, he talks about or uses the word proper. This is the idea of something that is well arranged, something that is modest. That's a definition that is given. He uses the word, secondly, modesty. That can be describing a sense of shame. It can also be talking about avoiding extremes. Uh, The word moderation is used all throughout the Bible, and that often is talking about uh, being a person who is avoiding extremes in your life, someone who is grounded, someone uh, who knows where they are going and the kind of person that they should be. And then the third term that is used here, and by the way, these terms may be different in your Bible, if you're reading from another translation besides the New American Standard, but he uses the word discreetly. And that's the idea of being a person who is self-controlled. It's the idea of sobriety, of being sober-minded. There's another term that we use sometimes when we say sober and we just normally think about someone in relation, uh, that word in relation to alcohol. But that word is used all over Scripture to think about our mindset, to think about our attitude toward life in general. And it has a specific application sometimes to alcohol. But Paul is saying this is the kind of people that we need to be. I would suggest to you, and this is my own thinking, you may think otherwise, but yes, he does address these specific instructions in verses 9 and 10 to women. But I would say these principles apply to all of us, whether we are men or women, if we are Christians. The specific application, obviously, of these principles to the situation in Ephesus it seems to be may have been the problem of women and gaudy dress. We might describe it that way. Or dress that is ostentatious. Or dress, as we might say today, that is over the top. It's, it's dressing in a way that everybody is saying, you know, you're trying to tell everybody, look at me. Maybe look how rich I am. Look how well off I am. I don't know all the specifics of what was going on here in the city of Ephesus in this particular congregation. And so to me, that seems to be the specific application that Paul is making of these principles. But I would just ask you, can we not take those principles, those three words, proper, modestly, and discreetly, and make some applications to the challenges that we obviously face today regarding our clothing? Having said all that, though, I think we would do this this text a great disservice if we only looked at verse 9. And we ignored verse 10. So read verse 10 again with me. He says, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Here, I believe the Apostle Paul gets to the very heart of the matter of all of this that he has said by saying that one's clothing really is just a reflection of one's heart, is a reflection of one's life. Just like the words that come out of our mouth is a reflection of who we're trying to be. 
Just like the attitudes that we show or don't show toward other people is to be a reflection of who we really are trying to be. And so Paul, I think here is saying, not just to women again, but to men, to all of us who are Christians, that our clothing is just one reflection, but it is a reflection of our heart and our life as a Christian and our lives as Christians ought to be devoted to good works. We ought to all be having a heart of godliness. So as you think about the clothes that you choose to wear, can I or other people describe what I wear as being proper, as being modest, as being discreet? And does my clothing reflect my claim to godliness? Peter has some similar instructions. We're not going to take the time to look at that this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3 to women's, women and how they can win their husband to Christ if they are unbelievers. But that ought to be our goal as Christians is that we're trying to be godly people. I want to end this morning maybe in somewhat of a strange place, you may think, but over in the book of Romans, once again, we've looked at chapter 12, we've looked at chapter 13, so we're going to look at chapter 14. And there's a whole lot of, that is said here in chapter 14. I don't have all the answers to probably all the questions that you have about Romans 14 and 15, but I want us to just notice again a few principles and to think about them in the context of what we're discussing today. First of all, from verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul says here, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. He is reminding us again, kind of like he did in, Rome, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that if we have come to God through his son Jesus Christ, if we have joined ourselves to Jesus Christ, we have joined ourselves to him and no, no other. We have given ourselves fully and completely, including our body, to Christ. And our bodies belong to Him. And so He is reminding these brethren and us that we don't live in a vacuum. But also reminding us that life is really not about us. But life, if we are Christians, is to be all about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And then dropping down to verse 13, he goes ahead to say this. He says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died." And then going down to verse 20, again, he kind of repeats himself. He says, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are not evil, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. And so this kind of gets to the discussion that we were having in Brother Philip's class this morning. But I think all of us who are Christians, we are in fellowship with one another. We are, are in this relationship with one another. We're all in the body of Christ. We are to be helping one another in every way that we can. We are to be walking in love, he says, toward each other. And in this text, Paul makes a specific application. That means in this matter, it was for them of eating meats or not eating meats or observing Days, some days as special or not observing, any days as special. In that particular context, he says, that means that you are not to judge one another in a condemning way, but it also means that we are not to put an occasion to sin 
before a brother or sister in Christ. I think this is my judgment and my thinking a little bit about Romans 14 and 15, but I think he's talking here about matters. Sometimes we say of indifference, God doesn't care about those. I think God cares about everything. (laughs) But he's talking about matters whereby maybe God has not specified something. He has given us a principle. We have to come to our own understanding and own conclusions about things. And in those matters, and really I think in any matter, we need to show this attitude toward one another that we are walking in love toward one another. And it goes both ways. And then the very end of this chapter at verse 22, the Apostle Paul says, The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. And so the last encouragement I would give you in regards to our lesson this morning is this, to study and to meditate upon these and other biblical truths that you may find throughout Scripture that relate to what you wear as a Christian. To then take those truths, those principles, and to develop your own convictions about those things and to live by those convictions. Paul says here at the very end of this chapter, if you doubt... Uh, that you can eat something, you, you are condemned but because your eating is not from faith. You, you have to come to your own convictions. You have to make up your mind about all of these matters that we've spoken of this morning and lots of other things. But then I would say this in closing, also be willing to change your mind as you learn and as you grow in Christ. Your convictions will change, not about bedrock principles of Christianity not about who God is or who Jesus Christ is or that the Bible is the Word of God. But as we learn more of God's Word, as we experience more of life, as we grow as Christians, our understanding of matters like we're talking about this morning will hopefully grow. We will mature and we will learn and we will be more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, that's a lot to take in, I realized this morning. And I don't have all the answers to what we have discussed today. But I hope something that I've said has struck a chord with you and will help you as you walk with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd be happy to discuss anything that I preach, uh, maybe questions that you have that I didn't address. I would be happy to discuss those with you privately and try to give you the best counsel and the best wisdom that I can give you from the Word of God. But one thing is for certain, God wants us, as Gavin pointed out to us in the 9 o'clock session, God wants us to be His special holy people. He wants us to be His royal priesthood. And that involves every part of our life. We haven't said anything this morning about really being addressed to those who are not Christians. But as our brother Nan mentioned in his prayer this morning, we have been blessed here in recent weeks with two of our younger men that have seen their need for Jesus Christ and the salvation that only he can give. And they have responded in obedient faith and they have been baptized into Christ and had all their sins washed away. And they have started in their walk with Jesus Christ. It would be a great thing if we could make this the third week in a row. (laughs) And so if you're not a child of God, would you please consider that? Would you think very carefully and seriously about that?
because of all that we have said this morning or any lesson that I could preach, that is the most important thing, that you see your need for Jesus Christ and you respond in obedient faith to the grace and mercy that he is offering you. Think about those things, and if you need to respond in any way, won't you do that as we stand and as we sing?